Your Hollywood system stole our sex and co-opted our violence, so there's nothing left for our kinds of movies. <laughs> I did not hit her. It's not true. Clopex. 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 Up yours, baby. Me and Bubba, my little brother, listen to you every night. Where in the hell are we? I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the first episode of Cult Film in Review. My name's Cody Everett, and I'm glad you're with us. Uh, we are uh, basically going to review cult films, uh, or B-movies, whatever, uh, and tell you guys about them and what we love about them and what we hate about them. Uh, we have a great group of guys that are going to review these films with you uh, and myself. Uh, I'm really excited about this. Our first film is going to be The Toxic Avenger, which is uh, really close to home for me. It's one of the films that I grew up loving because I originally saw it when I was eight years old when my parents let me uh, rent it from Schnook's grocery store on VHS and watch it by myself at eight seeing a head splatter is something crazy. So uh, we'll talk about that and more. Uh, enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to the first episode of Cult Film in Review. Uh, I'm Cody Everett, your host. This is going to be a really cool show. Uh, basically, what we're here to do is review cult films. Uh, I am a filmmaker myself. Uh, everybody in this room is pretty much a filmmaker. Let's go around and introduce ourselves. We'll start uh, to my left. Hi, my name is uh, Mike Salustio. I uh, write over uh, at Friendly Neighborhood Filmmaking, uh, which is a uh, pot, uh, blog that Covers uh, filmmaking, really. Is that what it does? That's what it does. Oh, yeah. I don't think he even knows. And you can find me at FriendlyNeighborhoodFilmmaking.com, and you can also find me on Twitter at, at Michael Salustio. Sitting in the comfy couch, Chris Willenbrecht, why don't you introduce yourself after I just said your name? My name is Chris. Um, I work over at Brain Damage Films and Midnight Releasing. We are a uh, local in the uh, Phoenix area distribution company for independent horror films. Nice. You have a Twitter or Facebook or anything? I hate can find Twitter. You okay. I can't do Twitter, Facebook, okay. my Instagram, name. Instagram, anything? Instagram, yep. Guarorama, G-W-A-R-O-R-A-M-A, like the band. Awesome. You can find them at Guarorama. Next up, directly across from me, is Kyle Smith. Kyle Smith, why don't you tell the people about yourself? I am Kyle Smith. Um, I am the owner-proprietor of Bluefield Audio and Sound. Um, mostly do sound design in the Phoenix area. You can find me at facebook.com slash bluefieldaudio as well as Twitter. I believe it's under Pliskin 426. Pliskin as if Snake Pliskin 426. Oh, Snake Pliskin. All right, guys. I'm Cody Everett. You can find me on Facebook under Cody Everett. You can also find me on Instagram as the official Cody Everett. Um, what we're here to do is talk about cult films. Uh, we are all pretty much big fans of cult films, I would say. Um, and we were going to review them, talk about them, what we love about them, what we hate about them, stuff like that. Uh, necessarily, what does make a cult film? Kyle, what do you think makes a cult film? You know, I've been thinking a lot about that, actually, lately. Um, you know, I think it's quotability. That's what I've come down to. That's what I've narrowed it down to. So it's a movie, if it has a lot of quotes, then it's a cult film? I don't think that if it has a lot of quotes, I think if it has a lot of memorable scenes that people 
would love to quote later on. I mean, because we're talking about, look at the films that are classified as cult films. You have Big Lebowski, but then you also have um, films like uh, what we're reviewing today, which you haven't introduced yet, but that's oh, that the, the, the Toxic Avenger. Thank you very much. Toxic Avenger. Now, why are those both those films considered cult classics while they are miles apart? I think it's because there is quotability. There's hilarious shit that is said in that, and it's funny. And okay. People like to repeat it. Mike, what do you think a cult film is? I, I agree with, with Kyle on that. Uh, definitely quotability is an important part of it, um, but I also feel like it is a film that strays from the mainstream but has a ridiculously high following. I mean, I think it, it's in the name, a cult. Like, what is a cult? Like, we, we, we think of a cult as not being a mainstream religion but something that people are adamantly uh, addicted to or uh, find themselves to be uh, drawn to. And uh, they see that as being something they uh, connect with. So, yeah, I think cult film is something that, yeah, basically strays from the mainstream, but at the same time is highly, highly popular. Hey, Chris, can uh, a mainstream film be a cult film, though? Do you, do you agree with that? Do you agree with what Mike is saying? Yeah, because I think mainstream just means that you're familiar with it. It means that, you know, if, you, if it's recognizable, if it's a household name or something that you could say and most people would would know what you're talking about like that is mainstream it does does you know mainstream doesn't only apply to say what comes out of hollywood or what comes out of los angeles or new york or you know i mean it's projected that and that is part of it is it's projected so far that no matter where you're from where you live anything like that you recognize it so it's recognizability I agree. I, I think I think uh, you know a cult film can be a mainstream film. I think that a cult film basically means that the film wasn't so popular at first, and then it finally found its audience. And once it found its audience, uh, then it became a cult film or a cult classic. I would well, agree with that. I think um, I think it it wasn't uh, Big Lebowski when it first came out a flop. I think most most cult films are flops when they come out. Exactly. I think maybe well maybe that's a defining characteristic. It fails at the box office, but picks up steam on the which I on the VHS market, which is a old statement to make. But I think that's really what created a lot of cult films was the VHS market. Oh, I agree. Well, I, I, I want to clarify. I I don't mean necessarily to say that uh, when I say straying from the mainstream, that it is not a Hollywood film versus an independent film. I mean more along uh, lines of a. Uh, uh, try by numbers kind of thing. No happy ending. Well, not necessarily that. Something that uh, deviates from what we're normally seeing in the Hollywood realm or even the independent realm, and it strays from that, and that maybe that might have some kind of uh, uh, thing with in, involved in. So I, oh, I can, but I can give examples of films that are necessarily cult films that are mainstream films that follow Hollywood to a T, but still fail. Well, Waterworld, Congo. These movies follow Hollywood to a T, but still are huge flops, but have a cult following. <laughs> Is Waterworld a cult film? I would put <laughs> definitely, dude. I would I definitely. If it's put not, it, it will be soon. So maybe, that... maybe, maybe to, to reiterate, maybe not necessarily mainstream, but popularity. I mean, if we're going on the, the, uh, the thing that we're saying that, that maybe these things are flops at first and yet somehow find this audience that are just diehard fans of these things, maybe maybe that's the better word. Maybe popularity 
versus mainstream. One I think thing, that's true. One thing I would um, point out is that, like, I don't think all cult films were flops. It's just how how long it stands the test of time, really. You know what I mean? Like, okay. Like, there's plenty of films that were loved just as much when they came out as they still are. Like, the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It was weird. It was bizarre. Like, people hadn't seen anything like it before. But overall, like, it wasn't a flop. It was, you know, it turned into a, a play, I believe. And then people started performing this on their own. Like, they started taking it to movie theaters and they started, you know, acting alongside with with the film while it was playing and interacting with the audience. And, like, that kind of started from the jump, really. Do you think like do you think that was the film that kind of started cult films? No. 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 I think no. it was in the right no. time. I think I I think going back to what what I what um But I, I mean I what I mean is like mass popularity. Like that movie reached mass popularity with a lot of weird stuff. I think honestly the cult film didn't truly exist until VHS and home video was came about. Go ahead. No, no. No, that's what I had to say right there. Okay. That was the end, I, 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 I do believe that there was a – you work a, for a company called Minlight Releasing, or at least a sister company, right? Correct? Yes. I mean, and that, that has a very historic uh, thing in film that there was a time where people went to go see these double features in theaters that were midnight releasing features, that you went to go there and you saw these double features, and they were films that – might not have the uh, mainstream uh, backing that you would see in a Hollywood film, but they found a cult following. Eraserhead started that way as a midnight releasing. Um, a My lot of cult films. Yeah, it, played, it played right alongside the Rocky Horror Picture Show mm -hmm. and El Topo and... You know, it's just like they all had a run. They had like, you know, there was like the Pink Flamingos. Yep. Same thing. Like they all played really late at night and you had to really want to go see them. And I think there was like a charm to that because that's and that's part of the reason why it built so slowly is that because it started, it wasn't home video. It was going to theaters and it was you sitting there and buying popcorn and not knowing what to expect and being immersed in this whole like experience. Whereas like when video came out, it just you know, you were in your house and in discovery, discovering things in secret, pretty much. In secret. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we have a good understanding then what uh, a cult film is, I would say. Um, I hope you guys agree with us. If you don't, just let us know on one of our Facebook pages or whatever to tell us you hate us. Um, we'll be right back. All right, guys, we're back. Thanks for listening. Thanks for uh, staying tuned. I, I really appreciate that. Uh, right now, we're going to talk about the movie that we all came to talk about. Um, we all watched it recently. It's called The Toxic Avenger. came out in 1984 from Troma Films. Um, this is my definition of a cult classic. Um, this is a movie that I saw when I was like eight years old, um, and I've loved ever since. So I'm really excited to talk about this film. But my first question and my, my first thing that I want to know, guys, is what do you classify this film under? Because this is, uh, Troma classifies this film under as a, as a horror film and I want to know what you guys classify it under as. Mike? Schlock? <laughs> That's yeah. a good one. That's good. I would probably put it that. I don't know. I don't know that it follows traditional horror films. I, I, at no point in time am I scared of uh, Toxie. <laughs> 
at no point in t- I mean he's the hero essentially the monster of the film is the hero which is the opposite of what we normally know from a horror film is just that there's some metaphysical or uh, uh, creature of some sort that follows people kills people or whatever and it's the it's the uh, it's the villain or the protagonist this is the uh, he's the hero we're all rooting for Toxie. Uh, I would actually classify it as um, unrated action adventure. I unrated think that's action adventure. <laughs> exactly. Well, the unrated part is because of all the extremely gruesome and graphic and gory scenes. But really, at the core of it, I mean, if I didn't know that a comic book of Toxic Avenger didn't exist when I watched this movie, then I would have thought it was a comic book film. It really is. It's it's an origin story. You you see this 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 character who um, is weak and beaten down, and he by some strange thing he gains powers i mean it's just it's 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 essentially spider-man's origin story but with toxic waste so i would Mm -hmm. say it's an action adventure film with extremely high level of gore (laughs) chris what would you put under as um what category comedy comedy yeah which is which is very similar to what i was gonna put it in yeah i would say comedy i mean the horrific part about the film is not is not necessarily toxie or his story actually that you like you're mortified by the people that do this to him like in the beginning right bozo like they're horrible people like like i just like remember the scene where they're tossing him back and forth repeating each other just saying like the worst shit they could possibly say to him and this poor guy this like bucktooth guy is just like being like thrown around like a rag doll doesn't have any friends like you'd feel bad for him right and then he fucking the worst thing happens like you think he's dead but no he comes back as this like superhero and the dialogue is so comical that like you're right, Mike. There is nothing scary about this film. There's nothing horror about it. I would even lump what Kyle said into it, an action, you know, like an unrated action comedy with horror. I wouldn't even say horror. I would say gore elements. See, what I put it under is is I put it under actually a uh, dark comedy. Uh, that's what I put it under. And I actually, I will actually go as far as to say it is the most successful dark comedy of all time. I don't know about that. I mean, how it spawned a children's television show <laughs> and four sequels. <laughs> how? Well, I remember. I remember the uh, uh, the animated series. Yeah, I used let's to watch. Let's be honest. It, it was not a dark comedy. There was nothing dark about it. It was let's save the environment. The it was cartoon, basically the precursor, but not the to... film. Not the film. The cartoon. No, the cartoon. What... Yeah. So yeah. how did that? Actually, I think it aired um, along with Captain Planet. I think it was on yeah. the air at the exact same time. Exactly. Let me ask you this question. Then how did that movie, which has gore elements in it, which is, I consider a dark comedy, not the most successful dark comedy of all time. If it spawns a, how does a dark comedy spawn a children television show? No other dark comedy has done that. It's the eighties, man. Hey, I will, I would say Beetlejuice is a dark comedy. So, okay, you could put Beetlejuice against it. I did not think of that. And that is a great point. There was an animated feature of, uh, of Beetlejuice. Yes, there was. There was a long time. But, but, the amount of gore in in Toxie is That's nowhere true. near close to fucking Beetlejuice. You're right. Nowhere near it. So everyone knows that Toxic Avenger was shot on a five uh, thousand five hundred thousand dollar budget, right? I believe it. That was a lot of money back then. Well, I did want to ask this because um, there there is a point in the film towards the end uh, where they have tanks. 
Yeah. As a filmmaker, somebody that is, a, how the fuck do you get tanks? I said the I, same I, I'm thing. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the tanks and everything cost about four hundred ninety or yeah. four hundred and ninety-five thousand dollars <laughs> of that five hundred thousand dollar budget. The rest of the budget. The five thousand was put on the rest of the film. Hey, they drove a car off a cliff and it exploded. That cost a little. Dude, bit that of could money. have been stock footage. There was I so mean. much stock footage in that movie. It's amazing. There, yeah. yeah. My other okay. I'd like to find out. So five hundred thousand dollar budget. <laughs> Let's ask Lloyd Kaufman. I would like. Lo, 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 I've heard Lloyd Kaufman say before the five hundred thousand dollar budget. They have stuck to that budget for like Toxic Avenger movies. Keep going forward because they can do so much more now with five hundred thousand dollars than they could then. Well, I mean, for shit. If for five hundred thousand dollars, they actually got two films out of it because the second film is actually all. It's just um, the extra footage that he had left over from. Toxic Avenger, the first one, he shot way too much, and he actually turned the leftover footage into a second film. So basically, out of five hundred thousand dollars, he gets two films. He got two films. He got two films. So really, Toxic Avenger is like a two hundred fifty thousand. I guess that's not too bad, but I mean, judging from what we know from independent filmmaking now, can you imagine what you would do with five hundred thousand dollars in the eighties? A lot. No, but can you imagine what you would do with it now? Oh, probably not much. I'd probably, no, you I'd probably get like so much. I would get like a so solid. Much. I would get like a solid spaceship, and that was it. <laughs> no, dude. <laughs> no, just like, get call, the fuck out yeah, of here when I need call to. Call Skywalker Ranch and just like just make a fucking spaceship for me right now. <laughs> How much? Five hundred thousand dollars. All right, I'll just raise another thousand dollars and do the rest I'll, of my. I'll film. do a Kickstarter. <laughs> the, so, so we got the spaceship, guys. Now what we need is another thousand dollars to film the f- movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The other thing I uh, I forgot to mention, guys is that it also spawned a live stage show. That I did not know. Yeah, also a stage show. So, <laughs> Jesus. And there was talk, I don't know if it's still going on, but there was talk in like 2010 of a remake happening with Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie. I don't know if he was going to play Toxie or not, but Arnold Schwarzenegger was going to be in a, a Toxic Avenger remake. I don't you know. know. That sounds like something that somebody said it. No, dude, that <laughs> was... like, And it just took well, off because people loved the idea. I, I am going to disagree with you, Chris, because if you uh, start to type in the word Toxic Avenger on Google, the second result is Toxic Avenger remake. And I would like to no, note that I, I, uh, I checked out Wikipedia uh, after I saw this film, and I did note that in it, they did say in 2010, they did say that they were actually going to make a remake. Uh, I mean, it's I guess it's five years in the making, or it's completely gone. I don't know, but it is certainly something that they were bouncing around at the time. I will say the whole time I was watching this movie, I did think to myself, I bet you if they remade this, I might enjoy it a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you, do you think they would do like a RoboCop remake of it? Like, I hope staying not. Staying kind of true, but I mean, like in a modern era, it's not toxic. Maybe it's. I think it should still be toxic, but oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, let's. I don't, I don't want to go off topic. I want to hijack this this podcast, but I will go on on record saying I did like the RoboCop remake. It no, was I did too. Bad. Well. Jumping back to, I just really quick, I I, I just remembered something. The um, so Mark Torgel, who plays Melvin in the beginning of the film, yeah, I actually got a chance to meet that guy. Okay, Are yeah, you serious? Um, yeah, I, met, I would like to meet him. Okay, so our company did. Um, we got a booth for something that we do locally called FearCon, and it's basically um, in, the, in the month of October, and it you know anything horror is what it's all about. So. We had a table that was right next to the celebrity table, which is the B-movie actors and actresses that come in and sit down and, and meet and greet and charge 20 bucks for an autograph, which, yeah. which I'm okay with. That's it, normal. They got to make money, too, honestly. Like, they these do. These people have to survive, so do it. 
But Mark Torgel was one of the guests, and it was kind of slow. Like, it, there were slow periods, and, like, these, like, celebrities would go walk around and just, like, mingle with the vendors and stuff. So so he came over. He stopped by the booth, and we got to talking, and he said he was he – was, maybe what you guys are talking about is this movie called two, like Toxie Tutu, I think is what it's called. And it's basically a documentary that he's been trying to get made about this, like, Toxic Avenger legacy for a long time. And for some reason, like, there's these obstacles that just keep getting in his way. And I don't know what it is, but it's been a long time in the making. So perhaps that's what you're talking about rather than a remake or no? No, no, there is a remake being talked about. There's an actual legitimate remake being talked about. Here's my, my next question for you guys would be um, favorite scene. My favorite scene is in the Mexican place um, with the one-armed dude who's uh, fighting oh. Toxic Avenger with all like the one-armed chops oh and he's God. throwing them. Um, Wait, and, he, like, he was one-armed? He was one-armed. In real life, he was, he was an amputee. And oh. um, he only had one arm. And if you you didn't notice that throughout, I the totally scene. breezed past that that part, <laughs> dude. Yeah, and the, and the whole that, that whole scene, the black dude who's fighting him, it, I forgot his name, and it's oh, it's gonna kill me. I have the cast on my phone. I'll look not, it up. Not cigar face. Not cigar face. <laughs> okay. No, it's in the in the Mexican food restaurant. Uh huh. The the robbery. The armed the robbery. robbery. Gotcha. Not the painted face guy. The black guy. Mm-hmm. He the guy with the knife. Yeah. He only uses one hand was the it, whole time. Was Holy it nipples? Shit, you're right. Yeah. Oh my god, I just realized that. He yeah. He just has the he has the Jerry curl. And yeah. Shit, right. He yeah. only has one hand the whole time, and he's fighting them with one hand the whole time, and then Toxie rips his arm off. Well, that army rips off. He was actually an amputee. That's why that fake arm was <laughs> oh. there. Oh. That's and he awesome. rips it off, and then he beats up everybody else with it. And it's dude, that seems That's so great. great. The actor who played um, the guy with the painted face. Oh god, I can't remember his name. That's good. He looked really familiar. Anyways, the, he quit. He quit the film. Why? Because he had to point the shotgun at the baby. Oh wow. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. yeah, you know that brings up a really good point. I the one thing I did notice about this film, and I thought was um, uh, hilarious, I guess, but also. Uh, interesting is that within the first, I want to say, 25 to 30 minutes of the film, a like 10-year-old child had its head ran over by a by a vehicle, and a dog was shot with a shotgun. Well, what would be? Yeah, that was in the, that was in the Mexican restaurant. That was in the same scene. Yep. So, what would be your favorite scene then? Would it be the kid who gets his head squashed with that, which was a melon with a wig? Well, obviously, it wasn't a real fucking head. Jesus. Well, yeah, I know, but that's how they did it. Was literally like a melon. Mm-hmm. With... Well, that's a. I mean, if you you go, you, yeah, me- a melon has been used a lot in special effects for a lot of films. I mean, going back to uh, uh, melon original, days, ri- original Night of the Living Dead. Actually, a lot of those, a lot of the zombies that get shot are actually have melon heads. I think yeah, Tom Savini was a big fan of using. Yeah, melons actually, for blowing um, up heads. I believe if you go to Dawn of the Dead and you go to the uh, scene in the beginning where they're raiding the um, the. The apartment complex um, when that dude is flipping out and he blows the head off the shotgun. It's actually a melon packed full of a bunch of shit and then Tom Sweeney legitimately shoots it with a 12 gauge I would like to note that gives me set. a great idea for an independent film called Melonhead. So, <laughs> um, favorite scene though? You want to know yeah. my favorite What's scene? What's your favorite scene? Please, I've been asking for an hour. You have been asking for an hour. It's not been that long. You know, it's hard. It, you, go to someone else first, because I got to right, speak about that one. Chris, what's your favorite scene? Nothing was my favorite scene. Anything with Bozo and his girlfriend are Dude, my favorite scenes. yes. Because Bo- that guy is such an insane actor. Like, he's just constantly, he's like, you're stressing me out, Brenda, or whatever her name was, you know? And, I, and like, and then she was const- She was the really evil one. Like, she was the one who was like, yeah, go back and run over him, or otherwise it's not worth any points, you know? So they go back and back over the kid's head, which is what you guys were just talking 
talking about. And like sh- they were just so wicked and evil that anything with them, I was entertained. I'd like to note that I love that that was his vice was just stress. Like, that was <laughs> That's it. what caused that was him the to do the shit. The only reason why he, he would run over a kid's head was because I was stressed the fuck out. Like, <laughs> was anybody's uh, was anybody's favorite scene the gym scene? Like anything in the gym? Yeah, I, I will say. Gym. You know what? Let me take this. I will say my favorite scene was any scene that includes slug because anytime he was in the gym, he was smoking a fucking cigarette. <laughs> Like how fucking funny is that? I'm gonna go work out while smoking a cigarette. When they're actually. doing the uh, when they're doing the crunches together and they're just passing the cigarette yeah, yeah. back and forth, I was laughing my ass off so hard. But what about the kill? What about that kill in the gym with the fat dude when he drops the weights on his head, dude? Oh, that hey, that me that out. was really fucking me good. Too. I'm not that lie. worked. I would say really I good. I actually do go to the gym very very rarely, and that's one of the big fears. <laughs> when I see that giant rod raising up and down, I always think about my head being between those bars and getting sliced right the fuck through it. <laughs> like how we started with very, very rarely. <laughs> well, I have, to, I, have to, I have to pre-host that. Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of giant rods also. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, Julie was his girl, was Bozo's girlfriend. Julie. And, um, Slug's girlfriend, what's her name? Uh, I can't forget. Slug, Slug was... Slug had the, had the brunette girlfriend. Yeah, he had the brunette, and actually, she seemed like—I mean, from the get-go, she seemed like she was kind of new to the game. Who catches? Who catches? Mel, uh, Melvin catches who having sex? Is that both? That's, yeah. that's Slug and, and his girlfriend. Yeah, Slug and his girlfriend. Okay. Yeah, and she—you she won't whips forget those switchblade. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I will say, you know what? I am going to actually. Can I? Am I, am I allowed to change my mind on my favorite scene? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, why not? Can we do that? Okay. I, guess. I will say my favorite scene because it's so fucking bizarre in this film full of weird scenes when he when Melvin gets pranked and they turn on the lights and he's by the pool my favorite scene of that is not the fact that he's kissing a goat or that everybody's laughing at him it's because I don't know if any of you else noticed that but in the background in a sea of 18 and 20 year old kids in bikinis and speedos there's an 80 year old guy in a black speedo and a white like broom handle mustache who's also there laughing he seriously looks like John Carpenter <laughs> like what the fuck is that guy doing there <laughs> Did, uh, funny fact about that that part too is the sheep had lice and they didn't they didn't tell uh, Melvin that the sheep had lice until after the scene was oh, over. Damn, that afro pie is just embedded Dude, that's with such it a Lloyd that. Kaufman thing to I do. I wish I could have asked him about that. I have, I have a favorite scene. Who's, uh, you have your favorite scene, Mike? Let my, me know. My favorite scene was uh, in the steam room. He goes in there and he takes the nice. girl and he puts her on a bunch of hot rocks that Raid steam room burns her like, ass, and he yeah. says, "Yeah, it's like, oh, this is for your hot ass." Which I just want to say the most clever line in the entire film. Congratulations! I don't know. I'm going to disagree with you. Best line. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's not all talk together. Let's not talk together, guys. I want to disagree with you on the best line because I want to oh, okay. say the best line was when the cop approached Cigar Face. And he said, "You and your bi friends." Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. There's just one person yeah. who's There's in one drag. Guy that like could maybe be bi. How does he know, know they're they're both his friends are bi? I think that's a hilarious scene. <laughs> you and your bi friends. I think he's just. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is Go good. ahead, Chris. What were you gonna? I'm sorry. I just wanted us all to share our favorite quotes from the movie <laughs> because this is awesome. My favorite quote was from the black dude in the restaurant. He says, right before he gets his arm ripped off, he says, I've always wanted to cornhole a blind bitch. That's right. He does <laughs> that's say that. that. And I laughed and told everybody in the office about it. 
<laughs> Mike, what's your favorite line? Mike, what's oh, your no, favorite I already line? Said, no, I already said, was, we're on to Cody right ass. now. Cody. Ooh. I don't know what my favorite line is. Uh, honestly, there's so many goddamn good lines in that movie. Like, I think I like the visual stuff more than the, the, the actual lines because there's so much going on in the backgrounds. Like, you really have to pay attention. There's, like, fights going on in the back, random fights mm-hmm. going on in the background. Random. Like, everybody's dancing. Yeah, like all, all the, the time. time. All the time. Body Talk is one of my favorites. You know, I, it pisses me off about this film is that I watched it one and a half times prior to this talk, and um, that film, that song has been fucking stuck in my head. Body Talk. Body Talk. <laughs> yeah, it gets just stuck in your head. What happened to that, dude? I, I kind of missed that because, like, uh, so, it's somewhere Troma went to the um, let's just play punk music in all our movies. And I kind of miss, like, let's play the music that fits. Don't get me wrong. I love their theme songs to all their movies, like Class of Newcomb High and all that stuff. Don't get me wrong. I love those. But I also miss, like, the 80s kind of, like, poppy feel that they would throw in. Because, so, you know, uh, before they did Toxic Avenger, they did movies that were, like, com- like sexual comedies, like like Porky's-esque kind of ripoffs is basically <laughs> what they did before they Big did. Big surprise. No, I, I didn't. I think one was called Soft tits or something or soft something like that. I didn't was, know that trauma yeah. existed prior to oh, uh, they Toxic Avenger. They, <laughs> they, they had a thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they did. Um, You know, going back to uh, all the stuff that's going on in the background, did anybody else notice um, during the uh, aerobic class scene, the dude in the background who looks just like fucking Chris Kattan? <laughs> did anybody else fucking see that? I did not catch that. I feel like there's no. so much to see in this film. Like, you have to watch it so many times. You do. There's so many, there's that's so many great That's what kind of makes it a cult. Okay. Film as well, Two. layers. What about the stuntman who jumps out of the window? That's totally yeah, <laughs> not blonde. even the right. Yeah, not even the, even the right body. You type mean the same the same stuntman who's on fire running the street, and it's yeah. obviously some buff dude. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, we're gonna take a break real quick. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Keep it up, Bozo. Keep it up. But remember, there's only one muscle you gotta worry about. Hey guys, we're back with cult film in review. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, the basically the the film aspect of the film. Uh, if that sounds weird, um, I'll explain it later. But basically, we're gonna talk about uh, the actual uh, art of the film, and that's really what we want to talk about now. Uh, I think it had a lot to say about '80s gym culture. Um, I think it made a, a lot of fun of '80s gym culture. Mike, what do you uh, what you grab from the film? What do you get from the film? Yeah, I agree with you. I think that the uh, film uh, it deals with uh, the things that were going on at the time. I think cult film, even horror film, at the uh, in general, deals with this. And I and I agree with you 100 percent on the uh, the gym aspect of '80s. The let's get physical was a very popular. Uh, video at the time, um, but I also think there's something else that has to do with it, which is the Cold War. I think the Cold War has to do a lot with that fear of what nuclear fallout would do with uh, the human body, and whether or not, we, I guess in this film, whether or not it would create a giant monster that would fight evil till its dying breath. Is um, that is it, I mean, is that is that Cold War that they were that they're dealing with, or? Is that, I mean, is that more with? Is that more? Is that more like? Um, I mean, toxic waste. You're talking about more like industrialized. Like shit's getting real. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, the, the, this is the this is the time of history where, um, yeah, we were f- we were scared of 
film. I'm sorry, Chris. Are you fucking smoking that uh, vaporizer over <laughs> Did there? Did anybody else hear that high-pitched whisper <laughs> as he took a hit? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll lean out of the way. And speaking of toxins, uh, <laughs> no, Chris is putting a few in his body right now. <laughs> I think it was less. Go ahead, Mike. I think no. I think it was oh. less about the Cold War, more about environmental uh, hazards well, and, and stuff like that of what toxic waste can do to your community and what it can do to your environment. I totally agree. I think. I mean, you, you know, you're talking about there was a lot of stuff going on around the '80s about um, dealing with uh, nuclear waste and, and what's created when with the, the production of either of uh, nuclear weapons or with using nuclear well, powers. I, what do you do with the waste? And I think that's. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of films, and we might touch on some of them in later podcast but one that comes to mind is like um uh, return of the living dead that's of course also based on nuclear yes. waste if, yes absolutely you know, getting into the soil so well I, I would like to say one thing uh, uh to that i agree with you 100 percent. but what what to do with the nuclear waste is is a very valid point but at the same time uh when we had things like hiroshima and, and the bomb going off and stuff like that and then moving to nuclear power as being a thing that we were actually using there was a at that time uh uh a problem with well, what do we do with this stuff? Well, how do we put it? Like this stuff. Is... I love how deep you both are getting, but I do not <laughs> think Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz were really that concerned with the environment. I think it was just a way to get to turn this this human being into this creature. I, you know what? You I'm, I'm going to totally agree with you, Chris. I think they don't. Um, they didn't um, consciously choose to make it about that. I think they 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 are victims of the times. And at the times, most horror movies were dealing with this sort of thing. So I think what they were doing was, how do we make a movie as mainstream and as popular and make as much money as possible? And they they dealt with a, a, with a, uh, a subject that was um, uh, really popular and really, you know. I agree with the second half of what you say. I think they knew what they were doing with the environmental stuff because they were using it as a marketing ploy. That's what I, I, I honestly think. I'd agree with that. Yeah, and I think it was genius to use it as a marketing ploy. Um, what? How does everybody, Chris? How do you feel like the shot? They shot the film. How do you feel? Do you think that they shot it? Uh, you know, compared to other cult films or anything like that. Uh, I don't know. I think it was good. I think it was super effective for what what it was trying to get out of its audience. You know, like we discussed earlier, the uh, weight dropping on the guy's head. They, you know, I think it has to do with editing as well, but. But primarily, like, they knew how to build the suspense, even though this was a comedy movie and you weren't supposed to feel scared. Like, I find my, found myself tensing up because I knew it was coming, and the way they, they paced it out was, a, was it, it, it drove that emotion, I guess. You know, you brought up actually a good point, and I wanted to ask you guys your opinion. Um, I think the editing of this film is atrocious. What are your thoughts? I think the editing is its saving grace. I totally disagree. I think it's a saving grace. Really? Well, look at look look how like, long they did not show Toxie's face. That's a terrible decision. Why think, is that? Yeah. A I thought it was decision? a great. I thought that was a great decision. Look at every dude. Look at every horror movie bef like before it. They don't show the monster's face until the very end. Yeah, but he's not yeah, a monster, he, yeah, and he's, he's not a hero. horror movie. He's the hero. But in their eyes, it was a horror movie, and he's yeah, he's the hero, but he's also the monster. Like that's that's their take on it. With that's I their would, different switch. Think I, about it. That's I part of the the filmmaking magic there, the art. They took this. They took the spin on on the villain is the monster, and instead turned the villain into the hero. I I would I would want to agree with you if the reveal of the monster was actually something to be reckoned with, but it was not. It was really kind of like a limp dick of a reveal. I want to go off of what Chris said about the pacing of things. I actually found that the pacing of this film was actually pretty pretty atrocious. 
Um, we don't get into even seeing Toxie until about 20 minutes into the film. We're, we're still dealing with the mob it's kid. It's longer than that, dude. It's, it's, yeah, it could be much longer than that. And I felt like they drew that out quite a bit. Like, why am I watching these asshole kids bully this kid with a mop for 30-odd minutes before we actually see what, what is the meat of the film, which is Toxie? Like, I don't know that I agree with great pacing. I think that Troma was smart enough to see a franchise. And, like, if you look at any of the great franchises, kind of going back to what Cody was saying, think about Friday the 13th. You didn't even fucking see Jason in that. It wasn't even about that. You know what I mean? They were just trying something out. Well, when you go into it with, like, a character or creature, like, you kind of think of it like, where is the story going to continue? So I would say in the second and the third, we've already been introduced now we're showing the character's face a lot more. It's not a secret anymore. We built it up. I would have to say, like, too, to, to your point, Mike, I really love the scenes with Melvin. I think Melvin's probably one of the better actors in the film, and I think you, he is, dude. You can't help but feel sorry for him, and it might be just his quirky looks, but, like, he's hilarious. Ooh, ooh. Like, I don't know, that stuff cracks me up. I'm going to say that Marissa Tomei was the best actor in that movie. <laughs> well, she went on to win an Oscar, so. Boom. Yeah. Who was she in that movie? She was, you don't uh, recognize her? No. <laughs> she comes running out of the shower, and she's spraying herself with, um, uh, like, body deodorant. Basically, when Toxie's trying to kill um, Bozo's girlfriend, and she catches them, and he, like, shields his face and shit, that's Mar- Marissa Tomei who catches her. She's on the scene. She's on film for literally two seconds. <laughs> That's amazing. Big break. In the director's cut only, I should add. Good for her. <clears throat> so I, I think the, the real shining star of this movie that I would have to say is definitely the effects. Mike, you did have a point you wanted to make. What was that? It, it, well, I mean, it, it goes back to what we were talking about, the pacing and stuff like that, and whether or not... Uh, what was the kid with the mop's name? I'm sorry. Melvin? Melvin. Melvin. Did you watch the movie? I, I am not I am not discrediting Melvin's performance in any way. It's how, just... How dare that, you? But that's Mark his. Torgel, Mike. <laughs> My, I'm sorry. Mark you'll, fucking Torgel, you'll all never, right? You'll never work in this town again, is, Mike. Is Mark, is Mark Torgel still alive? Is yes, still alive? I saw him. Mark Torgel? Chris just told a story. I would like to state that yeah, you were a fantastic actor. And my problem is not with your acting. It was not that at all. But you are not uh, the uh, title character of the film. His name is the Talkers Avenger. And I I'm felt s- like I would. I wanted Mike, to see him. Mike has a good point there. I mean, I mean, you really uh, uh, going back to what you were saying, Chris. This is um, they. You think Lloyd Kaufman saw it as you could make more sequels out of this. If that was the mindset you're going to it, then you need to go into it thinking that this first film is the origin story. And don't you think you would want to see your hero or your monster, they didn't whether do it you Halloween. wanted it? No, because you have to tell the story of where he came from. And he came I understand from that, but you don't need 45 minutes to tell the story of where he came from. Especially, you don't need to show him being bullied for half an hour. No, exactly. Yeah. You he only needs need to, to be bullied. Him. But let's take something like, like Spider-Man. I mean... Uh, at least even that, he he gets his powers, and then we kind of slowly see the progression of how his powers form and how he becomes Spider-Man. This is not the case with Toxie. No, Toxie yes, gets the is. powers, and he is just starting no, killing things no, right Cody, off the bat. No, Cody, because in, yes, Spider-Man, in Spider-Man, he gets his powers within the first 20 minutes of the film. Oh, I'm sorry. Does Toxic Avenger not build his own house in the Toxic Dump? I'm sorry. What the fuck that got to do with what, anything? Is that his power, is building houses? <laughs> he no, can but... build a solid shed, a <laughs> solid shack, all right? He's no, a fantastic waste. carpenter. No, but... The, <laughs> 
but what he's I'm, like Jesus. But what I'm saying is, in him meeting uh, Sarah and their relationship, that and no one's talked about that yet. So let's, that's a, that's halfway through the film, though. That's not even halfway. That's, that's more a, than halfway through. Yeah, the it's film. like a third quarter of the film. It is. I think you're overestimating how long it actually takes for him to like get his powers. I think right, it was well, maybe about just fifteen maybe, minutes. Maybe, I timed maybe just this. felt like a fucking long time. <laughs> Okay, so let's talk about the 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 is it's weird because the relationship between Toxic uh, Toxie and Sarah is a very she's blind. <laughs> yeah, can I can I just yeah. say it's very cliche. I will agree with you. It, it, it makes plenty of sense. Obvi- uh, as soon as I saw her, I knew that that was going to be Toxic's girlfriend. Because who could love this atrocious looking beast? And why would anyone love this thing? It has to be the blind girl, it's right? It's a classic I mean, that's, story. It is a classic I'm story. Not, but, but but classic stories are are are, are the uh, precursor to cliches. Yeah, they, I mean, they, that's and they what always it is. work. They always work. That's why what Hollywood does. No, I, I understand that. But I mean, it was inter. I mean, it could have been a sighted girl. Could it not have been a sighted girl? Not saying that there's anything wrong can with I, uh, unsighted women. Can right. I say this? Can I say this about this? Best sex scene in the movie is between uh, her and Toxie. Why? Because it's fully clothed. It's so goddamn funny. I was I like how he was so still hard. wearing the tutu outfit. Exactly. Fucking like whatever. Great. It was a great scene. To say about that great scene. All. all right, guys, we're gonna take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. All right, guys, we're back, and um, we're going to give our uh, final reviews for the Toxic Avenger. Uh, we're going to do it with mops uh, this time. <laughs> so I'm glad that we could do it. I'm actually going to give this film uh, myself uh, four out of five mops uh, for me. This film is uh, helped shape me as a filmmaker um, and what I find funny, so I'm going to give it four out of five mops. It's a bold review. It is a bold review. Mike, what do you give it? I'm going to give it a two mops out of five. Two mops? Wow, yeah. that is low. I'm going to give it two mops out of five. Look, and, and you know, it's based on personal personal feelings and stuff like that. I think there's a pure audience for this film, and I respect all the people out there that love this film and stuff like that. Uh, but personally, not my type of cult film, not my type of thing. Um, respectfully to everybody out there, and I respect you, Cody, for being somebody that is uh, uh, influenced by this film. All right, Chris, uh, how many mops do you give this film? Well, you thought Cody was bold. I'm going to give it five out of five mops. Oh, my God. Let me tell you why. Because the movie is such a legend in our culture at this point. I agreed. It did everything it it set out to do, the best that it could do it for the money that was spent. And it is, like, so ingrained in our hearts and our culture as far as you know if you if you like cult films like you can't not know this movie so it obviously is one of the most effective cult films of all time in my opinion there's a lot of them but it's one all right kyle what do you have to how many mops bro uh, you know what? I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go right. I'm I'm gonna take the uh, the middle route. I'm gonna say three out of five mops. Ah. Um, on in all honesty, I don't enjoy the film. Um, going off what Mike said, I can appreciate the following and I can appreciate the subculture that it created. But 
In terms of a film overall, um, I didn't. I can't quite say I found it enjoyable. I, it was fun to laugh at, but not something I'm going to watch again unless you want to re- review it a second time and command me to re- watch it again. That's about it. <laughs> All right, guys. So that's it for us today. Uh, join us next time when we review Big Trouble in Little China. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm Cody Everett. You can find me at the official Cody Everett on Instagram, or you can find me on Facebook at Cody Everett. Uh, right next to me is Mike. Mike, where can they find you at? Mike, you can find me at Mike at Mike Solucio on Twitter. I apologize. I said at Michael Solucio on Twitter. Don't go to that one. I think that's a personal trainer of something. <laughs> uh, so we'll try to edit that out if we can. If not, I hope you watch this entire show so that you could uh, hear that correction. <laughs> no <laughs> one's going to watch the show because they're listening to it. Chris, where can people find you at? You can find me at... Uh... <laughs> 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 they could have watched their dial for Christ's sake. I don't sake. like Twitter, so don't look for me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, uh, Guarorama, G-W-A-R-O-R-A-M-A. Also, um, go to the midnightreleasing.com, thebraindamagefilms.com, and maximmedia.com. All right, Kyle Smith, uh, where can people find you at? Uh, you can get me on uh, Instagram at Pliskin426. That's Pliskin as in snake, 426. You can also find me, if you are on Twitter, you won't really find me, but you'll find some great quotes at goddammitchris at twitter.com. Um, and then also at Bluefield Audio on doc, at Facebook. Jesus Christ, let me try that again. How about facebook.com slash Bluefield Audio? And that's it. All right, guys. Thanks for listening to us uh, yammer about films. Uh, We really appreciate it. And hopefully you'll listen to us next week because we'll be talking about more films.